Today, I would love and like to talk to you about a question that has often weighed on my heart and on my mind at different times in my life. The Bible is littered with people from the Old and the New Testament who sometimes agonizingly or painfully and prayerfully have asked this question that we're going to look at today. I think, without doubt, that you, perhaps like me, have asked this question many times, sometimes even daily as we go through life, especially when you're embarking on something new or that word that we often dread, which is called change. For some, this could mean an exciting prospect or a new adventure and is seen as a chance to grow, whether it's a new job or maybe a new relationship, for example, or new friends or even a new church. But when some of us are faced with change, sometimes these times of change can bring unrest and uneasiness and uncertainty even. Sometimes we feel that we're just not going to be good enough and we just do not quite cut the mustard. And we feel that we don't have enough faith and enough hope for our new future. Or... Maybe nothing much is changing in our lives at all. Perhaps we are so caught up with the situations from our past that we could possibly never even think about moving forward in life as it's too painful. Or perhaps we don't feel worthy enough because of the guilt we put ourselves through. And so the constant question that goes round and round in our hearts and in our minds that can stop us or hinder us more often than not, can be summed up and translated to one phrase that I want us to explore this morning, which can quite simply be, am I good enough for God? If you're like me, this question can trigger a myriad of other questions. But for now this morning, just let's focus on, am I good enough for God? So, whilst preparing this talk, I just really felt God challenged me to share a little bit of my own personal circumstances over the years. In my own life, when I've faced, when I've been faced with that question, so I'll try to hold it together. So, here we go. I was very fortunate to have been brought up in what some may consider a good Christian home. I got married at 22. Despite the warnings from close friends and relatives daring to share with me that they feared that this future marriage of mine may not work out. Looking back, I know that I didn't have total peace about it either. But at 22, and isn't hindsight a wonderful thing, I sadly wasn't strong enough to walk away. And after 13 years of pretty much constant marital struggles to say the least. Two fantastic children, though, to boot Samuel and Benjamin. In between, my marriage to my children's mother eventually failed. And I found myself going through a really difficult divorce, whilst trying to make sure that I also won the right to see my children, which I sadly had to fight for through the court process. All the time feeling a total failure, that my life had just become a complete mess. I asked myself then, am I good enough for God? Or what about the time that once I'd left my marriage behind me, I just jumped headlong into another relationship because I feared loneliness. 
And I needed a distraction, something to help me through to face these battles that were going on. And at that time, that relationship looked and felt so completely right. Yet it turned out to be the worst thing that I could ever have done. And another five years of difficulty and strain ensued, trying to juggle the happiness of a new relationship and attempting to make it work, making sure that my children were happy and not, hopefully not too confused, trying to juggle shift work back then when I was a serving police officer and trying to get the rest of my family used to this new way of life. And I'm sure you can predict the ending already. I found myself back to square one, again picking up the pieces after this just relationship just broke down. And as the saying goes with regard to relationships, the grass always looks greener on the other side, but eventually you realize you've still got to mow it. <laughs> Was I good enough for God then? Or what about the time when I felt so ashamed of my finances due to my pending divorce? And other extenuating circumstances meant that I had to declare myself bankrupt. This left me practically with no money, no home to call my own, and no clue as to how I was going to get my life back on track financially, let alone provide for my own children. Was I good enough for God then? But before we go on, let's define what I mean by this phrase that I keep using. So in other words, have the things that I have done in the past and the mistakes that I have made, have they disqualified me from God's love? Have my mistakes and failings disqualified me from ever being or doing anything meaningful in the kingdom of God? The answer is no. When I come to Jesus knowing that I've messed up and that I'm feeling guilty, I'm crying because my wife's crying. <laughs> and when I'm feeling guilty and condemned, he takes me as I am in my brokenness. He picks me up. He shows me how much he loves me and how much he never gives up, despite my failings. And so I'm grateful to God for his love and his patience towards me, restoring my finances in an amazing way. If you want to know, come and talk to me afterwards. Giving me a fantastic loving wife who sat here at the front, a beautiful baby boy for those who don't know the sex of our child, as we found out on Friday. <laughs> a very big boy, as the midwife has said. <clears throat> And my two children, my two older children, Sam, who's 18, and Ben, who's 15, who Rachel and I both love and adore and get now to see more often than not. And I'm sure, you know, that when you look back on your own lives, you too may think of times when you felt the need to ask this question that we're thinking about this morning. Yet, if you're anything like me, typical bloke, you try to bury it in your heart and deep in your head and think that it's just going to go away, but you know it never really does. But before we write ourselves off convincing that it's all doom and gloom, let's take heart from looking into the Bible and seeing how God used some of his people who felt the same way that we do sometimes. Let's look at two people in the Bible who faced this very question, am I really good enough for God? Who felt that they'd let God down and disqualified themselves from serving in any meaningful way in his kingdom. People for whom God had big 
plans, even though they doubted that they could ever be worthy of God's love and calling. But God always has different ideas. Let's start with somebody called Moses, one of the most famous leaders in the story of Israel in the Old Testament. A great leader who God chose to be the one who would lead his people, the nation of Israel, straight out of slavery in Egypt, which he did through Moses with many miracles and signs and wonders along the way. We find the story in the book of Exodus, the second book in the Bible, or you may have come across it perhaps in the cartoon, The Prince of Egypt. Same basic story, if you haven't watched it, slightly more Disney than Deuteronomy, um, but you get the gist. Many times Moses questioned God about his own leadership skills, which we'll see in a minute. If I was a betting man, which I'm not, I'm pretty certain Moses' doubts about God's calling for his life translated as, am I really good enough for God? So, let me tell you a few things about Moses that we find out in the first two chapters of Exodus. Number one, he was an orphan, pulled out of some bulrushes in the River Nile because his mother feared for his safety, so she left him there. Number two, he was your modern-day refugee. He grew up in a land that technically he didn't belong to. They were his people, which was very significant during Bible times and still is to many today, of course. In today's world, we constantly see news stories of those people that find themselves being uprooted to foreign lands through war and famine, to name but a few reasons. And we see those people that come through our doors and storehouse with those same issues too. Number three, he had a speech impediment. So, to be God's spokesman sounds like a very, the very last thing that God would ever ask him to do. Number four, he didn't have a name of great stature. Names were even more important then, as they indicated somebody's destiny. The meaning of Moses, Moses' name wasn't something special like mighty warrior or great man of faith. It meant pulled out of the water. Imagine introducing someone, uh, introducing you to Moses and his brother Aaron as well, perhaps. Aaron, hello, this is Aaron, whose name means lofty and exalted. And this is his brother Moses, and his name means pulled out of the water. And in chapter 2, number 5, and in chapter 2, Moses loses his temper and murders an Egyptian soldier, having seen him kill a slave, one of his fellow countrymen. So here is Moses, the -the run-of-the-mill, everyday guy, who almost certainly feels like he's let himself down, that he's let his people down, and that he's let his God down. Moses escapes Egypt, and this is what happens next as we read in Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see the strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out for him within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Don't come any closer. 
God said, take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of the slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out into the land, which is a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they ask me, well, what's his name? Then what do I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God is clear enough. But Moses still has to ask the question, as I'm sure many of us would, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? There's that question that we're looking at this morning, translated again as, am I good enough for God? I wonder if Moses thought, why me? Let alone how God would react to him for what he'd done, taking a human life. But there he was, stood before the burning bush that God has caught his attention with and then chose to speak through. Being told by God to be his spokesperson to Pharaoh, to free his people from slavery, I know, that Mo- I know that Moses, like us, could pretty much guarantee that he wasn't the kind of person God could call and use in his service. Too insignificant, too many mistakes. But God saw the potential in Moses as he does in you and me. Because of our human failings, we make the same mistakes time and time again. We're overwhelmed by that sense of inadequacy and weakness. But here in Exodus, we can see that God is a God of new beginnings, of forgiveness, of restoration, giving hope where there looks like there is no hope. God can even use us when we are in the most difficult times of our lives, when we feel like we've just come to the dead end of the road, and it really is a dead end. During the Burning Bush episode, Moses gave God five somewhat lame and very similar excuses for why he couldn't do, surely couldn't do what God was asking of him. Number one, verse 11, Moses says to God, I am, sorry, who I am, that I, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? At this very moment, Moses was questioning, am I good enough for God? Number two, Moses asks God, who are you? There were so many supposed gods that the Egyptians worshipped. Moses is trying to figure out which one it is, which God he's speaking to, and whether he can trust him. But God replies, tell them, I am who I am. 
an alternative translation for the same Hebrew word is here, I will be what I will be. God finishes off by saying to Moses, tell them, I am, has sent you. Moses clearly realizes that he's lost on this excuse, so throws another one at God. Number two, at the beginning of Exodus chapter 4, verse 1, Moses says to God, they're just not going to believe me. God's response is to show Moses that he will be good enough because God will be with him by moving powerfully through him with signs and wonders when he comes to confront Pharaoh. So very graciously, to prove that Moses, to prove to Moses that God is going to be with him and that he is who he says, that he is the one true powerful God, he turns Moses' staff into a snake and then back again. He covers one of Moses' hands in a dreadful disease and then he turns it back to being okay again. He tells him to scoop water out of the Nile and then dropping it onto the ground and God turns it into blood. And even after all that, Moses is still not convinced. But in verse 10, Moses' response, and excuse number four, even having witnessed all these amazing, miraculous signs, he responds, Oh Lord, I'm not eloquent of a man of words, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servants, for I am slow of speech, and I have a heavy and awkward tongue. Really, Moses? Come on! Give God a break. He's here for you. He's promising you that with his help, he will not let you down. Yet here stands Moses, in front of God, face to face, and still that question rears its ugly head, am I good enough for God? Still in chapter 4, verse 11, God says, did I not make man's mouth? Who makes the dumb or the deaf or the seeing, or the blind. Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will teach you what to say. Moses offers his fifth and final excuse in verse 13 by simply saying, God, come on, send someone else better than me. Now, if I was God at this point, I would not have had the same level of patience with Moses during this conversation Moses realizes that God is not taking no for an answer. If he was anything like me, though, I reckon Moses still left God's presence at that burning bush wondering, yes, but am I still good enough? Am I really good enough for God? As I look at Moses and his excuses, I start to get the sense that God actually likes to use us for our weaknesses, and he turns them into his strength so that he can be glorified. God knows we are imperfect, as was Moses, in a less than perfect world. But Philippians 4 tells us that we can do all things in Christ who strengthens us. Let's look at someone else who asked that same question time and time again, this time in the New Testament. Am I good enough for God? Peter A simple fisherman from up north, the region of Galilee, you can't beat being up north, apparently, Um, which is where I am from, as you probably can tell by my accent. He was one of Jesus' original disciples. According to John 21, he was called Simon, son of John, but Jesus renames him Peter. What did he rename him Peter? The Greek word for Peter means rock or stone. 
In Matthew chapter 18, verse 16, Jesus says to Peter, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. We said a moment ago, didn't we, that in those days, names were significant, and Jesus' renaming of Peter was significant for his calling to play a key part in building the kingdom of God. Maybe names that you've been called or that you call yourself useless, pathetic, stupid, or that little phrase of you'll never achieve anything. Maybe those names, who, those lies that you've owned and believe in the past have stopped you from achieving your destiny and your calling from God. Well, let's look at Peter and his failings before Jesus. Luke chapter 22 tells us that occasionally Peter was rash or he was hasty in his actions or irritable and capable of great anger. But he's also pictured as gentle and firm, having a great sense of loyalty and love, especially to Jesus, who he was so close to. I wonder if Peter felt like he was the right man for the job of being one of Jesus' disciples. He was an ordinary guy, just trying to make a living for himself and his family. Peter's life was undoubtedly, undoubtedly turned upside down when Jesus said to him, Come with me and I will make you fishers of men. So he left his nets and started working for Jesus. Now, I know that if Jesus had asked me that same question, I probably would have wished that I'd brushed upon her in my Bible a little more, but Peter went as he was. But Jesus was clearly unconcerned with that, and he knew that he had chosen exactly the right person, and that's how I know he sees the potential in all of us too. Did Peter believe that he was the right man for the job? No, he didn't. Did Jesus have to tell him the same things time and time and time again? Probably. But as I say, that's nothing new for me either, and you've only got to ask my wife. Yet God still entrusted him to build, that's true, isn't it? Yet God entrusted him to build his church. It was on Peter's shoulders and the other disciples to spread this truth after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection that he was alive. That when Jesus stretched out his arms on the cross, as it is enacted out in Psalm 103, he put our sins as far away as the east is from the west. That we don't need to spend eternity being separated from God by our sinfulness and our continual wrongdoing. Let me tell you something else about Peter. Probably the worst thing that he could have ever done to disqualify him from being used in Jesus' service. In Matthew 26, Peter says, even if I have to die with you, Jesus, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. But, as you know, or you may not, but here we go, but that's exactly what ends up happening here. And very shortly after, Peter does disown Jesus. And not just once, Jesus knew it would happen. Truly, I tell you, he said to Peter, this very night before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. Just before Jesus' crucifixion, he's been arrested. The disciples are in shock. And Peter's just sitting around a campfire in the courtyard on a cold night in Jerusalem to try and keep warm. When suddenly he's recognized by one of Jesus' disciples, when he's challenged, Peter denies it. I don't know this man. 
And of course, he didn't do that once, but he did that three times. And then to remind him of his conversation with Jesus only hours before, he hears the cock crow. And in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke's gospel, they all say the same thing, that Peter wept bitterly. That that night, Peter's heart was broken. And I am pretty certain that he then asked that question of God, am I good enough for God? No wonder he felt like that. But in John 21, one of the several times when the resurrected Jesus appeared to these disciples before returning to heaven, Jesus makes a special point of singling Peter out and telling that he completely forgives him and reminds him of his calling, the job that Jesus, even though that had happened, still had for him to do, to serve him in the kingdom by building his church. And there are many stories in the book of Acts which show exactly the history of the early church and what it was like. Where Peter is totally at the center of what God's doing, including many signs and wonders through the Holy Spirit. This simple fisherman with no qualifications and no special giftings. And what we've seen was true of Moses too. And Peter is so often true on us, isn't it? Like them, we're reluctant to step out for God sometimes. Of course, they said they weren't good enough. Of course, they thought that they didn't qualify. Of course, they felt that they had no right to expect to be used by God. Far better for you to send somebody else, Lord. Someone better than me. But when God calls you, those things don't matter. You see, he uses our weaknesses to show how awesome he is. He will use you according to his plan for your life. And as he did with Moses, he will give you the right words and the right wisdom and the right kind of authority to boldly go in his name for him. And I'm not just talking about being on a staff team or or, or being a a church pastor or a vicar. This isn't just about, uh, this this is just as much about ordinary jobs that God asks us to do for him, even in our secular world. This also applies to the changes and the challenges that we face too in life. Or maybe it's something to do with volunteering in church on a Sunday. Maybe the welcome team or the hospitality team or the children's ministry. Don't listen to the lies that you are rubbish. Don't believe the lies that Moses and Peter nearly did. And so I wonder if this is starting to resonate with some of you today. The key to what Moses and Peter achieved was quite simply beginning by saying yes to God. Even though that they felt they were lacking in so many areas. God loves to work through imperfect people like us. So often the things we think disqualify us from serving him in his kingdom are actually the things that qualify us. We know our own weaknesses. We know our own failings. Just search your heart. But if we're honest before God and we ask his forgiveness for what we've done and for who we are, it's that honesty and humility 
when God also sees our hearts that makes us usable in his service. Do you remember those painful yet very, very true stories about my own life at the beginning of this talk? My divorce, my other broken relationship, and my awful financial situation. Did God abandon me? Did God say, that's it, you've screwed up, James? No, no, no more chances. No, of course not. He helped me through with those things, and he's continued to look after me in totally and utterly amazing ways that I could never have dared imagine or dream, even though that's what the Bible tells us to do. Did those situations disqualify disqualify me from serving God? No. He's enabled me to stand here today. Stop it. (laughs) You can sit at the back later. He's enabled me to stand here today and to tell you how much he loves you, despite that you may feel that you're not good enough. So have the things that you've been hearing today stirred something in your own heart? Do you know... Does it feel like it's time to get serious with Jesus? Do you feel like you've got some kind of like unfinished business with God? Has God been calling you to do something for him? And you've replied with that question that we've been looking at this morning, but God, am I really good enough? Perhaps you could stand with me if you're able to, please. And just as we wait in the stillness for a while. We invite the Holy Spirit to prompt us to come and be present in a very, very tangible way. Holy Spirit, we've welcomed you here already, but we just welcome you again. Father God, I, I just pray you to you just speak to our hearts. That you make us bold. And my prayer for us today is that we realize we do qualify. That we are good enough for God. Because of his love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. We do qualify. So if anything from this morning has resonated with you, we would love to pray with you. And if there are any situations going on in your life right now that you'd love somebody to pray with, maybe it's to do with sickness or family or a new job, we'd love to pray for you in relation to that as well. There's some space down here over to my right, which is your left, where some folks who are familiar with how we pray with people in the vineyard are going to be waiting for you. Perhaps I could ask those people to just start floating over there now, please. And if you'd like somebody to come and pray with you, we'd love that opportunity.